You hear the word boundaries get thrown around a lot in recovery circles, but what does it actually mean? And more importantly, why do you need to understand it? We're going to dig into boundaries today, and our guests will share some examples of boundaries they've had to set in their own lives, as well as why it's been important for their recovery journeys. Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but it's also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Steve and Julie. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full, there's no space left for alcohol. Before we get started, we just want to let you know that we are looking for future podcast guests. If you would like the opportunity to share a part of your journey, get in touch with us and let's chat. You can email us at throughtheglassrecovery at gmail.com. We believe that every single story deserves to be shared. Let her rip. Hey, everyone. Welcome. It's nice to meet you all. So I'm kind of excited. We have, we're outnumbered by Canadians today. Uh, We have three Canadians here. There's a purse for everything. It does not happen very often. So super cool. And then we also have three guests that we've never had before. So I'm really excited about some new perspective and some new stories and and just to meet some new people. So we are going to start with our introductions. And Sean, I'll have you go first. Hello, everyone. Really excited to be here and talk about uh, our topic tonight. And I have been sober since January 2021. So I'm coming up on my thousandth day this this coming weekend, the end of September. Awesome. And, uh, it's 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 past. You know, it's had its share. We'll get into that. But I spent the first year developing, and and I wrote my book, my memoir called "Going Dry: My Path to Overcoming Habitual Drinking," and very much about the process of going sober. Really cool. Really cool. Really, really neat. So we will definitely include a link to that in our show notes so everybody can check that out and follow along with you and the rest of your story. And next we'll go with Nicole. Hi, I'm Canadian. I'm Nicole. Um, Incidentally, I'm not allowed in the States. So um, it's kind of <laughs> funny that I'm I'm on the show and I'm I'm not allowed in the U.S. But I've done a couple of podcasts, so I, I kind of sneak in that way. <laughs> I've been in recovery for five years today. Yes, yes. congratulations. Today is kind of a big deal for me. That's a huge congratulations. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal for me. This is actually my second kick at the can, kind of. I mean, there had been points in my life where. I tried to clean up, but it just wasn't happening. And the first time I was in recovery for 33 months, and then I went back out for three or four months and got some insight, did some more research. And yeah, so my Instagram page, um, I don't have a book or anything like that, but I, I have committed my Instagram page to my recovery journey. And I basically started that page when I was coming off of my relapse. And um, it's been a really big deal for me just because I've met so many amazing and cool people with all different perspectives from all over the world. And I've got some really good friends on Instagram that I've met from all over the world. And, you know, people that work different types of programs and, 
And I'm really open to learning about other people's recovery and how they run their program and how they stay clean and what works for them. Because, you know, humanity is all very different and we're all really different people. And I think that it's important that we respect each other's journey. And and so it's been really great for me because it's almost like traveling sometimes. I like I, I talk to probably 50 people a day and often they live at all sorts of places. And so I love that. And yeah. I'm in Saskatchewan right now. I'm here for work. So amazing. Super cool. Well, awesome. Huge congratulations on five years. That's amazing. I'm so excited that we get to celebrate that with you. Thank you for being here with us. And yeah, Nicole's Instagram has all kinds of super cool and inspiring content. I have followed you for a while. So definitely check that out. And again, link in the show notes. Yeah, super cool to meet you. And then last but not least, we have Richard. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm not Canadian. I just want to say that. <laughs> Bad for you. I, I, I come and you've invited me and I appreciate it. Uh, I ran for 35 years, semi-retired, but right now I run a coaching service for the families, family units of young adults in the drug, alcohol and drug recovery and also incarceration. And it basically came from my years as a nurse. I spent many years as a correctional nurse and then a substance abuse nurse, and I found that they were pretty much the same thing. In helping those, I, I realized that we had to take certain avenues for those who were compromised uh, socially. And so I kind of run this service with families who were compromised socially and helped them with their recovery and helped them work with guys like you mm-hmm. and increase their knowledge of the medical system so that they can get more power out of them out of that and also help them mold a support network because it helped them with the guilt and shame aspect of it so that's what second starts does my company uh and i always have to say two number two n-d-s-t-a-r-t-s.com and uh this basically works with families of compromised young adults in recovery really really cool amazing yeah yeah that is some really inspiring work that you do i think that's really great Super excited to have you here also. So the word boundaries gets thrown around a lot in conversations about recovery and for good reason. Setting boundaries is super important if we want to stay sober for the long term. But I think there can be confusion around what that actually means. So we would love to hear what that has looked like in your life. What boundaries have you had to set and how did that go? And why are they important to you and your recovery? But Scott, guys, anyone can anybody can go first. I feel I feel like we should break that down a little bit. That's a lot. (laughs) Um, Whatever I I can say this. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. I'll go ahead. Um, Boundaries. (laughs) Boundaries for me. Um, I had to realize that I needed to set boundaries. I. I had to realize what it was, but also that, and get the confidence to, to establish them. So boundaries for me were very confusing in the beginning because I didn't realize how much I had control of them and how like with my upbringing and just, just the process that got me where I was, there was, there was a routine and, and, and a habit around drinking and the way I carried it and everything I did. So. So boundaries to not do something I was so used to doing was such a difficult transition. So 
to set those rules or to have those limits to share with other people. I had to get around it myself first. And that was the, the most difficult part. For sure. Setting boundaries with ourselves, I think, is huge, right? Yes. And understanding what those boundaries need to be. Yeah, I think that's where it all starts. Everything starts inside of us, right? And then we yes. start spreading it around in our lives after that. Yes. I found that in dealing with people, I, I tried to explain to them that boundaries are, of course, difficult because we as human beings, boundaries are going to be difficult. So uh, the, the difficulty that you have with boundaries, people who are crossing your boundaries, they're having the same difficulty also. I tried to listen and tell them and tell myself also, because we're all in that business, that to do the heavy lifting of helping with boundaries, to work on and put most of your effort into your internal boundaries is probably the best way to go. Get the heavy lifting done. If you can, if you can set your own priorities, and I, I wouldn't say stone, but at least very thick mud, you know, to where you're stubborn, you're stubborn about it and your own boundaries. That helps you so much with those things and people that are looking to cross your boundaries. So strengthening your internal boundaries is probably the where you should put 65% of your effort. I'd say, you know, strengthening your own internal boundaries, you know, and your own sense of self-agency and, and ownership is, is where you need to point most of your efforts. It's going to be a hard road to hoe, I mean, a hard road to go anyway. So at least put your your work and your effort into the area that does you the most good. That's usually what we try to do, help out, so. You said ownership right there. And I think that ownership's one of the hardest parts of recovery, right? Because ownership means you have to be honest with yourself and that is freaking painful and uncomfortable and it doesn't feel good. And you have to acknowledge the things that you've done and the things you need to stop doing. And you need to realize that it's all in your control. And yeah, I think, I mean, all of that has to happen in order to even recognize the boundaries that have to be set. You have to have like this major willingness to be honest with yourself. That is really uncomfortable and really difficult. Yes, I agree. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I, I grew up in a family in Saskatchewan, which is, um, Saskatchewan is a province where there's this really strong drinking culture. You basically grow up, um, you know, often your family drinks, your neighbors drink, everybody drinks and everybody hangs out together and drinks. And like, that's, that's just how I grew up. And so I grew up in an environment where, although my family worked really hard and they were ranchers and they all had nice trucks and nice houses and all of that sort of situation. Drinking was just something that you did every day, like after work, on the weekend. Um, you know, I think I started drinking probably like, you know, every weekend when the when I was 12 and continued on from there. There wasn't any boundaries in my family around um, what sorts of things kids should or shouldn't be doing because we kind of just all ran wild and and that was fine as long as you were home in bed at a specific time. And I learned a lot of my behaviors from that environment and I honestly did not even have any idea what a boundary was until I came into recovery uh-huh. and not just my own boundaries, but other people's boundaries and understanding, um, you know, relationships and 
how boundaries are important so that you don't end up in toxic situations or compromising um, what's good for you or what's good for your family. So I like, I just really had no idea what that even meant. It's yeah. it's funny when we, like we talk about boundaries and 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 I think we're, like we're all nodding our heads like I didn't know what a boundary was until I got into recovery like it's it was something new and fancy but literally it starts with no right like no for myself we're we're talking yes. about boundaries and one of the first things that comes to mind is no is a complete sentence it's yes. literally like no period done end of sentence we're good this starts with you. It starts with me. No, I'm not going to drink now. There's my first boundary. Now, what do I need to set around that so I can maintain the, I'm not going to drink anymore. And then what do I have that's around me that is infiltrating that, that, that serves me and doesn't serve me? What's infiltrating that safe space that I'm starting to create? Yeah. And when something comes into that safe space, I get a chance. This is this is where my control comes in. We talk about control because when I didn't have any control over any, I, I didn't think I had control over anything. I fought for control over stuff that I couldn't control anyways. But now infiltrating my space, what do I do with that? Something is now here and it's I'm uncomfortable and and it's not right for me and it's not going to serve me. How do I, uh, how do I create a boundary or communicate that boundary properly? So it's heard. And if it isn't heard, that's fine. I'm going to have to repeat that again and finding the courage to actually communicate that once I figured it out is terrifying. There's no way. This is me standing up for myself. That's what essentially a boundary feels like is, is I'm standing up for me and I am going to now teach this person how to treat me in a completely different way because that's not what they're used to. Right. And the problem is if you come from a toxic family system that doesn't understand that, at all there's all these other sort of collateral issues of like gaslighting and um you know basically invalidating mm -hmm. what you're trying to do because they, they remain in that toxic system and you know i don't know if this has been your experience but people that are still in active use they they want you in active use with them this. You know, it makes them feel better about the fact. Yeah. This is why I surrounded myself with other people that drank a lot too. Yes. <laughs> right. It made me feel right. Go, go ahead, Sean. Yeah. I was going to say that that was my experience too. It was a toxic family environment, but also my, the friend circles I had. And it's, 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 you, we, we don't accept boundaries until, you know, recovery, but the people around us aren't in the same position as we are. They're not, and I'm not going through the same thing. So not only are we learning about boundaries, but then we got to convince the people around us that we mean it this time or that we don't want this thing anymore, or that maybe we're still going to try to hang on to the, some of the same friend groups and stay in that same environment, but not participate in what's going on it, to convince the people around me that I wasn't the same person I was before I made the commitment was such a, such a barrier. It was, it was, uh, it was difficult. Yeah, well, and you have to, 
you do, you have to reteach people how to treat you, right? So, I mean, with my family, I've let them treat me a certain way for a really, really long time. So then when I waltz in and I'm like, here is my boundary, they like laugh at it, right? There is no reason for them to take that seriously. I think the closer people are to us and the more comfortable they are with us and the more like intertwined our lives are, the longer it takes for them to understand, I really mean this and we're not going to do this anymore. And I think to some extent it takes patience. You know, you might have to repeat the same thing multiple times. But then I think at some point, too, you just kind of have to call it. Be like, okay, clearly you're not going to learn. And so I think, you know, I'm going to need to create some distance in this relationship now. And that is like stupid, painful to me. Because a lot of times these are people that you're close to and you love and you want so bad to have like this healthy relationship with them. And they just can't. Like going through that right now. And it is tearing my heart out. Because the people that I would love to have a healthy relationship with aren't capable. And so, like, I'm having to create that distance and start that disconnection. But that's how it works, right? And it it's painful. It takes a lot of courage to show up and state the boundaries and to state what it is that you're needing. And it also takes a lot of courage to follow through with the consequences when they've let you know they're not willing to, you know, accept your boundary. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, um, when I was trying to figure it out, like my own brother, my younger brother was was asking me because I turned a beer down where my coin is. Did you not get your coin yet? Coin yet? And it was it was it was a jab because I wasn't willing to participate in in even something as simple to him. I wasn't what I wanted, so it was it was just not. It was very uncomfortable. Oh, I think that. In the recovery situations that I, I see the people in, and mostly I'm dealing with the younger people, it's especially hard for them because they haven't learned. Uh, there's a lot of social things they just haven't had a chance to learn anyway. And then with that extra family pressure, they literally have no ideas how to protect their boundaries, literally. So we find that the best thing for the younger people, I think it would go even for the older people, is to sort of it's like getting in shape, lifting your chops on small boundary things, lifting your getting getting yourself acclimated to the very basics of taking care of yourself and practicing that and staying with it and staying with it because they need a little bit more strength to deal with the, the big things. Because like what you guys are talking about, that's the big stuff when your own family members, you know, walk up to you and hurt you to your face. And I, I tell them all the time, I say, listen, this is going to happen. It's, it's our human nature. It's our human condition. Okay. The best way for you to prepare for it is to start with your own, your own internal boundaries. Again, I said that before, but it's the truth and, and, and practice with it and stay with it and stay with it because the harder times like you, what you guys are talking about, they're coming. No one is pretty much ever going to allow you to live like that. And it not and when it goes away, it will not be because others stop. It will be because you have become strengthened and immune from the inside. They're not going to stop. It's a matter of you building it up, and it's very difficult. And it it will remain difficult. Just you know, get un- understand that it will remain difficult. But once you strengthen yourself, and it takes work, and it takes a little effort, it takes a little bit of uh, you know repetition. 
It just does, it's not just going to come. People say, well, set your boundary to them. That's, that's way easier said than done. There's pain that goes with that. There's a lot of things that go with that. Pain. I don't have to tell you. So mm-hmm. it takes practice to set boundaries. Practice. Start with the little things. Work your way up. And just stay at it. It takes practice just figuring out how to form the words and form the sentence to create, just to communicate the boundary to begin with. And then you fail at that. And I've failed at that miserably a whole whole bunch of times. And then I get, I get upset because I'm like, how do you not understand this? Because I'm not really communicating it properly either. Then I haven't, you know, said, okay, here's the consequence to the boundary once it gets crossed. Because it's all, it's my responsibility to communicate. This is what's going. Here's my boundary. This is what's going to happen if it gets crossed. And then I, then it's also my responsibility to enforce that once that gets crossed. So there's that whole. It's like the the whole three steps that that happens, and it takes courage to to do that. And I have to be willing to suck at it because I was and I did. And then on top of that, here's a fun one. How does it feel when someone sets a boundary on you? Doesn't feel too good, does it? Very important. Very important point you just made. Because we're setting boundaries. Somebody's setting boundaries for me. And because somebody else is teaching me how to treat them. Because I don't know. And that's uncomfortable. That hurts. That stings. It's like, wait a minute. Now I'm not getting what I want from you. Yes. I actually don't have a problem with that. Like I like clarity and I like, you know, responsibility and accountability and those conversations where, you know, because I I respect other people and and I want to have like an adult relationship where we're respecting each other and the relationship serves both of us. Like there's reciprocity. Yeah. I think boundaries are important in recovery, but also in, in creating those relationships that you're bringing into your life. Like I spent a lot of time by myself in the last five years. Um, When I came off my last relapse, I was in a, a relationship and that's kind of what led me to go back out. And, and I recognized that it was those loose boundaries and those relationships that were bad for me that I kept picking over and over the same person in different bodies. And and lose boundaries with them and lose boundaries with myself. And that's how I kept relapsing or, you know, being involved in those situations. And so then I was like, I was like, okay, I need to spend some time as a single woman and try to figure out what a healthy relationship looks like. And not only have boundaries for myself, but respect other people's boundaries also, because I was toxic as F. And I've just moved back to Saskatchewan. I was living in BC and my recovery community there is great. And I've never used there and everybody in the rooms only know me as I am right now. And I moved back to Saskatchewan where the last time I was here before the move, I was in handcuffs. So you can imagine how much respect for boundaries I had. And my brother now lives directly across the street from me. And he wanted nothing to do with me because people would see me coming and they'd be like, oh God, here comes Nicole. It's not good because I like I was a loose cannon. I was always doing something crazy because I had no boundaries and didn't know what they meant. And I was toxic. And I think I had ego issues and all sorts of fun things. And since I've moved back to Saskatchewan, my relationship with my brother is like exponentially better and and 
every day I live in so much gratitude that he was able to let me know what his boundaries were because he was still carrying some trauma from when we were kids because we both went through a lot of really terrible things with a family that, you know, commonly used. And our dad was a drug addict and, you know, and, and so I think that when you're talking about it stinging or whatever, if you're acting up, it should sting a little bit. <laughs> well, there's the thing was, is I didn't know how to take things, not, not to take things personally. Absolutely. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I'm a hell of a lot better at it now, but in early recovery, when someone set a boundary on me, I was like, what the heck is wrong? Like I took it personally because I didn't know. I didn't like, I didn't, I literally haven't, yeah. hadn't grown up, matured enough to understand right. that that boundary isn't about me at all. Right. It's right. about, it might be about um, how I'm acting or, or what that may be or what my expectation is of that person. But maybe that that's set that's being set because that's not an expectation that's that can be met and or something along those lines and that means there's something that i need to understand yeah it means that it's yeah. it's not about i took it personally i took a lot of things personally i was really good at that when i was drinking and i was still really good at that when i quit because that was how i learned to like live and it was unhealthy yeah. and really relearning the healthy part and mm -hmm. how to accept those boundaries and how to set them myself was just well for me it was like boundaries felt like rejection mm -hmm. and boundaries felt like criticism and me being a perpetual people pleaser with virtually no self-worth rejection and criticism were horribly painful and so the more that i've grown in recovery I actually have self-worth now and I understand that criticism isn't always bad and that I can grow and that's okay and that boundaries aren't rejection is basically someone communicating their needs to you because they and if someone works up the courage to share a boundary with you they really care about you if they didn't care about you they would just be like fuck off and they would leave Right. This is true. Who's Nicole? If, yes. Yeah. Like peace out. This is not worth the yeah. emotional energy. But if they're setting a boundary, they're really working up the courage and putting a lot of emotional energy into holding on to that relationship. And I think that's something we really need to respect. I'm with I'm with Steve where I've never handled boundaries set very well. But I like hearing Nicole talk about it that way because I, there's just obviously I still have some growing to do. Um, but I just think it's really powerful because I think it is. And it's a, in a way, it's a gift from that person that they're willing to share that with you. Mm -hmm. Good point. I think it's in development that you learn how to accept it more. For sure. I agree with what's kind of every the way everybody's going with this. Uh, there's there's two different ways I would have handled this the way now where I want. Like Nicole said, I want to know someone's boundaries so that I know, you know, how to best interact with them. But an old me, like boundaries, yeah, they didn't exist. It was, I was trying to be the best host. I was trying to be the best friend. I was trying to, you know, just get people involved. And I was drinking. I wanted other people all around me too. And it was, their boundaries weren't as important or I wasn't as aware of them because I wasn't thinking about it. It was just the 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 nature of what we were doing or the environment that, just wanted to make sure everybody was involved. Yeah. I think the whole self-will thing 
it, 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 that's part of it as well. And I don't know who's in a 12 step program or who's not in a 12 step program, but, but, but that self will piece is I think really linked to that as well. You know, you want to manipulate situations or um, impose what you want on situations or you, you want things to go exactly how you want them to go because when you're in active addiction or you're not healed, it's about you. It's only about you. You don't really care what other people want or what their boundaries are because that isn't getting you farther to where you want to be. Exactly. The interesting part is, is when you start setting boundaries and you start accepting boundaries, you get a lot farther to, you get a lot closer to where you want to be than you ever were before. You get a lot closer to peace, inner peace. You get a lot closer to the friends that are around you because they're going to, you're going to end up having a conversation that probably includes a little bit of vulnerability, a little bit of personal touch, and then you're going to learn about them and they're going to learn about you. And then that grows the relationship, which is funny because yeah. trying to grow a relationship without boundaries, because you don't understand what they are. It's just like jumping out of a plane without a parachute. <laughs> yeah. And- oh yeah. I like what Richard, like, so I'm thinking about Richard and working with youth and working with families and teaching youth to set a boundary mm-hmm. and like, if I had been taught in my youth what the word boundary meant, my whole life would be different. It would be incredible. So I just think that's amazing what you're doing. I think that it's for me, uh, when I, I came up with this thought while I was in the correctional facility, I had obviously I had no intention on moving in this direction. You know, I, 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 I became a jail nurse by pure accident anyway. I didn't even mean to do that kind of just got drafted into it from my county service. But uh, I noticed the phenomenon of the young people who would come to the jail and I would see them the first time. And there was such fear and, and this, you know, confusion in their eyes. And at that time, at that moment, they were willing to do anything you asked them to do to get better, you know, and, and, and go into recovery or whatever. The problem is, is that if there's no intervention at that time, you see them the second time and they're a little bit more jaded and a little less receptive. Then you see them the third time. And by the time I see them the fourth or fifth time, they're not paying any attention. When I coupled that with the fact that I took phone calls from these people's parents all the time and the grief and the pain involved here is so high, you know, you say, well, you got to do something. Now, once you actually get the family unit together, then all the things that you talked about show up right away. Lack of boundaries, you know, the guilt shaming, whether on purpose or by accident. Unintentional, yeah. Yes, and then you realize that if you could do something to intervene and start getting some of these principles in place between the ages of, you know, 16 to 23 to 24, in that area, it helps so much when a young person has some of these realizations about boundaries, as we've been talking about, and simple things like that, to where now they get a head start on it. And I like to think that we could reduce the number of now 30, 35, and 40-year-olds with this issue. The problem is, is that if it doesn't get, I noticed that if it doesn't get stopped before about the age of 25, 26, when a person starts to believe that they're an adult, 
you got a you got a downhill roller coaster that's got a lot of power behind it now, and now you're you know, and you marry that with the substance, and it's it's an out of control train. So we really do try to work with the families to help them understand what what is going on here, what you can do to help, because they most a lot of times the families family histories, they don't really understand the damage that they're doing. They really don't. Most of the time, it is not intentional. No. Most of the time, it is not. Well, like, I was in therapy. I was in therapy as a teenager. You know, I I went through my depressive stuff as a teen. I think that's when some of my mental health issues really started. And I learned some stuff, but my family never learned any of that stuff, right? And how do you take that as a 16-year-old to your parents and be like, this is what I need? And so it just never happened. And I think that's another important thing. So many of us in recovery are, in a way, really blessed to be learning all of these healthy ways to function, like emotionally healthy adults. Like I would never, if I didn't first get addicted to alcohol and then get sober, I would never have become an emotionally healthy adult. I would still be out there. You know, it, it would be terrible. But then we also have like this gift. It would be terrible. It would. Well, right. I, was, I was a freaking disaster. Even before I was an alcoholic, I was a disaster. So I'm like, it is a gift to me to get sober and mm-hmm. to be able to grow and learn all of these things. But then we also have the power of sharing that gift with the people in our lives like with our children or with our families or and not everybody's going to be receptive, but at least we're old enough now and we have hopefully the communication skills and the wherewithal to try. And I think that that is really powerful. We we don't have to just keep the stuff in the recovery community, right? Like we get to share that stuff. It's generational. Like my parents would never know what the word boundary meant if I said it to them. Yeah. But we can start sharing. My children, my children, none of them drink. My son smokes a bit of weed. He's 20. But it, it's nothing like how it was when I was growing up or, you know, other people in my family. My my mom, she th- there's no boundaries. And and she, I don't think she will ever have boundaries. Um, she's a boomer. Um, she's got the emotional intelligence of a rock. Um, I was hoping when we were living together that maybe it might wear off on her a little bit. And we would have these really great conversations about these things exactly. And then the next day it would be the same shit, but it, it's because she's drinking, right? Yeah. And so somebody that isn't healthy, that isn't ready to accept that they might have a problem and, and like really kind of nasty and passive aggressive and all these resentments and unverbalized expectations that turn into resentments. And it was really um, important for me with my children that that communication style didn't go for another generation. And like when I came into recovery, there was a lot of things that I had done when I was using that really harmed my children. My children ended up in care and my children lived with their grandparents and I went to prison and all of those pieces. And so there was a lot of healing to do. And it was really important to me that I was open to having those really difficult conversations, but I let them lead it, right? And the boundary issue, um, I've made sure that they they understand what that means and why you have to appreciate what's acceptable or not acceptable to other people. My mom, I'm afraid we're just going to have to go generational down. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, it is not only 
parents who drink because my parents don't drink and they still have the emotional intelligence (laughs) of a rock so Richard Richard isn't like my mom I mean God love him um yeah you're you're spot on with that I just want to add to to the generational thing too part of my journey when when I was younger I'm also Ontario I didn't mention that earlier Canada but we grew up and it was like it was a rite of passage once you reached a certain point like I, I mixed my my brothers and I have two younger brothers and we knew how to mix drinks perfectly when we were like eight years old so it was it was fun right it was it was this cool thing you could help your parents with because you were going to grab cooler uh, beers from the cooler but like to come back with a mixed drink right that was that was a huge deal and then you know, we would have this game where we would count up all the beer cans, crush them and put them back in the bag with the number on the bag. And then they'd go back to the store for the return credit and buy more. Like there was so many things at such a young age that that was like a game to us as as young kids. And that set me up because that was such mm-hmm. a fun example. Like how, how can this be such a bad thing if we're playing this cool game where we're counting the cans and mixing these cool colored drinks and being so helpful and then, you know, I started to reach a point when I did decided to make changes that, because I've got three young kids and I was seeing some of that transition. I, I, I was realizing that that was not good behavior. That wasn't a good idea. I, I, I was repeating that same generational pattern that we, we talk about mm-hmm. with my own kids and, and then wondering why I felt so miserable about it. And I'm not planning on having those the same rite of passage because it definitely didn't work for me. I think that one of the things that I, I try to tell the young people and the parents that we get them together is that, unfortunately, although we're in a recovery situation, the things that we are talking about actually should be taught to everyone. Mm-hmm. I would really, the program that we run is basically, even though I use it for recovery, because that's my background, people in distress who need recovery. That's the background that I've worked in. Yes. So that's why I aim it at. But actually, I would like to see it done for every 17 or 18 year old that looks left or right the wrong way and start it right then. Needs to be a course in school. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it definitely is because we, we can nail down some of these really simple issues, actually. They're simple before they get bad. Mm-hmm. Once they get bad, they're not simple anymore. But they are simple before they get bad. And if we could work on some of those things. But unfortunately, human nature is that we don't want to move again, move on things until we feel pain. Yeah. But by the time you feel pain, you're already injured. It's so, yeah. It's, it's yeah. so true. Yeah. I, like, it's one of the things I've actually been like, I, I recognize I'm like, why do I have to make this hurt so much before I actually change something? Yeah. Right. And it's, it's, it's true. I'm like, wow, I need to do something. I need to actually do something about that. Like, I know I need to change it. And if I don't do anything, it's going to hurt really bad. And then I'm going to be back in this same place again. And I, like, I've repeated that over and over again until I started learning my lesson. It's just like any other lesson. I feel like I have to learn it the hard way. I think that's an alcoholic thing. We just really like to learn lessons the hard way. <laughs> if you don't learn it the hard way and if you don't do it really good and real and, and, and just dive right in, go hundred percent full bore, then you're probably not doing it right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
avoidance piece. It's the avoidance yeah. piece. You know, yeah. we used to avoid yeah. avoid negative emotions. We used to escape. It's like a little holiday from your brain, but yeah. but it's not. <laughs> and, and like Richard, and like Richard said, with with just the way we get once we reach a certain age, that's just like that was who I was. That that's exactly to Richard's point. I was where I was at. I was coasting. To through my days and and maintaining the lifestyle I had and wasn't going to change anything because I was, yeah, I was an adult now and you, you can do this be when you're an adult and you don't have to worry about it. You just carry on with your life and then, you know, you reach a point where you don't want to do that anymore or you have to change. Where you go with young people is the only thing that sometimes saved their, saved their lives in their future, that they still have that little bit of flexibility they could use. They have a lack of experience but they also have flexibility too. And we try to capitalize on that flexibility because it's not going to last. The flexibility part is not going to last. You know, right. you don't catch it, but in a certain age, it's uh, not impossible, but it just gets to be a much harder task to change mindsets. Once you get past a certain age, then you're into a lot of other things and your level up, your, your need for therapy increases exponentially once you get past a certain age. You know, well, yeah, that's us, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a whole. That's that's the other four of us that are sitting here. We didn't figure this stuff out until I mean, I was forty, almost forty, when I started even understanding any of this stuff. That's exactly what you're talking about, and it's yeah. really hard to learn this stuff. I achieved a, a level of independence that didn't really require me to mo to to grow emotionally anymore. And I think that was what I was getting out of what you were saying there, Richard. Like there's that level of, of you grow up a little bit and there's a level of independence. And then I got stubborn as hell. Yeah. And then, and after that, I'm just not listening anymore because I, this, the problem isn't me, it's everyone else. And right. as soon as that was everyone else's problem, I don't have to fix, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do any of the work. It's not a requirement yeah. for me, but you talk about. And I'm going to wrap this up now, Richard, you talked about, I'm going to grab onto this because this I think would be absolutely amazing if that was a pro like emotional health was a program that was put in schools. And I'm not just saying like one class in one semester, you do that from for like four years every semester, every time, and you make that a part of the conversation so we learn how to actually communicate properly. I've spent the past two and a half years trying to learn how to have a healthy emotional response to what life throws at me. Yes. That's a major part of what recovery has looked like for me. And I seeing heads nodding all over the place here with Sean, Julie, Nicole, and you, Richard, that's, that is the meat and potatoes of it for me. Nicole, before I go any further, congratulations on five years. That is absolutely incredible. Yes, congratulations. Congrats. That's great. Thank you. Absolutely incredible. Thank you for spending it with us. Yeah, I hide. So that was, it was easy and I was quite happy to do it. My sponsor's back in BC. Nobody's taking me for dinner. It's okay. <laughs> Thank you for spending it with us. No, I appreciate. It. I think it was good. It was really good. Yeah, I love yeah. it. The the special, you know, five years, and you get yeah. to celebrate it with a a podcast recording and joining us in this awesome conversation. Sure, right. sure. Yeah. We teach people how to treat us. A lot of it 
was part of that conversation where setting boundaries starts with me and learning about myself. Talked a little bit about self-agency and ownership, and they kind of go hand in hand. Once you start taking ownership of things, you start gaining your self-agency at the same time. Accepting someone else's boundaries, not taking it personally, but actually understanding that that is someone setting a boundary and showing that they want to work on this relationship because they care about you as a person. And communication, communication, communication. I think without that, we miss all of this. And this communication, this conversation, I think was really great. So I want to say thank you, Sean. Thank you, Nicole. And thank you, Richard, for spending time with us tonight and and the listeners really appreciate you guys really appreciate your time and your thoughts thank you so much thank you no thank you so much thanks for being here you guys thanks for spending time with us today don't forget to like subscribe or follow through the glass recovery podcast so you don't miss future episodes including next week when we talk about dealing with change once we're sober